Hey everybody, David here. Just a heads up at the front here. Uh, If you stumbled into this podcast, independent of the website it hails from, even though we are talking about a movie, What's Made for Kids, uh, there is some swearing in this podcast. So just as a heads up, if your mom is listening, tell her to uh, plug her ears or something. There isn't too much, but it just pops up every once in a while. And I figure I may as well mention that. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to the Actual Garbage Podcast, Consumption Log 14. I'm your host, David Paddock. I am joined today by Nicole Paddock. Hello. And Ryan Riley. Yes, yes. The traditional movie crew is here, which I did not actually intend when this particular movie came up the first time. We're going to be talking about Zootopia, and this movie was marketed rather directly, pointedly, uh, towards furries and children, and since I'm at least one of those... I feel unusually qualified to talk about this movie, but I tried, dear listeners, I tried to put together a concise half hour of me saying my piece about this movie, and kind of like the Undertale review, I just could not get something to my satisfaction. So I've brought in the movie crew. Um, We'll know their opinions on this movie shortly, I'm sure. But um, just so we're clear, if anybody here... um, had a bone to pick with the movie, which we will talk through. Um, I tried not to subject you guys to this um, because there was a strong possibility, uh, Nicole in particular, I was very hesitant to have in the theater for this movie because this is like 180 degrees, not your speed. Um, this, yeah, not a Nicole movie. No. Not, was it a Nicole movie? <laughs> okay, so now... I, I've i probably been, like, 14 since the last time I've watched some sort of Disney movie that has some, like, spunky girl character that obviously can do anything she wants yep. if her mind, if she puts her mind to it. Yep. Um, I fucking hate that storyline and the way that, you know, all of the people in the police force do have a physical advantage over her, which is why they're cops and she's not, you right. know, despite her, her plucky detective skills that win her the you know honor love and affection of zootopia in the end um it's a fine kids movie i had some problems with some of the larger themes in it i don't know if we want to oh we will indulge well i mean here's the question i want to know david yeah so why did you pick this movie (laughs) oh let's see why did i pick this movie well um i guess the way to summarize this right up front is that normal people, and this is an experiment I still need to run with some extroverts in the room, but I have a feeling that normal people don't really realize how easy fiction comes to them. Right. I think a large part of the reason I don't like fiction is because I don't tend to adore human characters the way a lot of people do. And when I say the word adore, and I guess the word love in some of its more philosophical ways is the word I mean by this. There are characters that a lot of people have in TV shows and movies and books that they want to succeed, even if it doesn't make sense. I hate that. Characters appeal to me almost directly in proportion to the degree their arc makes sense within a story as a whole. I worry about the arc. Okay, so since this is some bullshit cookie-cutter story arc, why did you pick this movie? Because this movie, by (laughs) contrast, has the thing that seems to magically turn that switch off in my head, which is that the animals 
are not human exactly. Ironically, if they're feral, if they're too animal, this doesn't work. But Zootopia may be the first just straight-up CGI furry movie. Um, the, it is literally just humans that are... It is, they're animals that are humans in every other respect. Uh, Zootopia does do a fantastic job as uh, their apparent research into the way this thing should be put together. Uh, the animals... <laughs> The animals all have their physiology. They're not all six feet tall um, in particular. It's a lot of furry fiction tends to have literally it's just humans with ears practically. Everybody's the same size. Yeah, and that fixes a lot of the quirks. That makes some things a lot easier to write for. And uh, the crew at Disney Animated Studios took on this challenge in an admirable fashion. Well, and I got to say, too, I was, as I was doing some of the research, I saw a trait because my first exposure to Zootopia was the sloth trailer, uh, where the sloths are at the DMV, which is uh, the best part of the movie, the funniest part, of, excuse me, the funniest part of the movie. But then in my research, I saw the original trailer for this, and it explains what, anthro what anthropomorphized animals mean. Yeah. And, uh, they had okay, to... that is the only trailer I saw before seeing oh, this. Oh, okay, yeah. I, the, I saw the sloth trailer, and seeing the sloth trailer, I was like, I'm seeing this fucker. <laughs> like, this is going to be good. <laughs> but, like, seeing this anthropomorphized, like, they had to, like, introduce the concept and, like, explain yeah. that, like, no, it's not like Yogi Bear where his only dress is, like, a collar with a tie. Like, no, no, no. Like, he has, like, these animals have full, full-on human-like qualities you know, clothing, things like that. And I thought that was, you know, it's kind of funny that they had to, like... And they even did the fur play on words in that Yeah, line. exactly. Like, blatantly kind of move, move yeah. it in and and kind of, like, introduce the the whole idea to it. I mean, did they... I mean, from your out from outside perspective, I mean, was that necessary, do you think? Because, like, it's not so strange of an idea to see, like, anthropomorphized animals. I mean, I've yeah, seen Robin crazy Hood is fucking a movies great in my Disney life. Disney movie. Yeah, I believe, exactly. That's all animals. I believe, to some degree, that was a uh, directed ploy. Gotcha. So this is like some way to like buy in or explain to people who might be unfamiliar with the idea? No, specifically... Or no, to market to you people so that you see the movie. Yes. Gotcha. Because okay. we're like the only group on the planet that says anthropomorphic on a regular basis. <laughs> no, they knew their audience. I mean, they put marketing dollars into attracting furries to watch this movie. And it worked, because you've seen this movie how many times, David? It, it, um, I've seen it five times. <laughs> Very I good. saw it the first four days it came out, and then I deliberately stopped watching it. Um, good, okay. So that I could sit down and do a review of it, which I failed to do, so I watched it a fifth time with <laughs> them, with uh, you two. And, um, and our yeah. SOs, yeah. Yeah, and so we're... Uh, so, but, I mean, on the whole, though, you've... This idea that you, because you talk about feeling this kind of love that people have. I mean, I think that maybe the idea that you connect with characters in films. I mean, obviously, there's kind of a block or a barrier between that two. But I mean, maybe if I could just jump off for a certain segment here. Do you like find that you connect it in the same way with these characters in Zootopia? Do you ever connect with like human characters in like video games? I mean, is it not? No. Okay, yeah. So it's not like just except for Undertale. Yeah. What? Except for Undertale. Well, once again, but that's kind of the yeah. the thing that kind of breaks the barrier for him to a certain extent, right? Where that can, where yeah. if the idea that you know you would like fall in love or connect with or connect with a character that just it provides you a little bit of an easier mechanism to do so if you find that you know if it has like anthropomorphized animals it's, or something. It's a reflexive cheat in the same way that most human beings. I mean. Unless something exhibits human characteristics, this reflex doesn't exist in other people normally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's and in my case, my chi. And this is the thing: is that even though it seems exceptionally arbitrary, it even though it makes more sense that humans would be attracted to humans this way, 
there's the same level of arbitrage going on mm-hmm. as far as I can see. It's just that, you know, Ratchet, and, which his movie doesn't look great, but thankfully Zootopia came out. By the way, the trailers before this movie comes on, um, you guys didn't get to see all of them. In fact, you arguably saw the two best before the movie started. Uh, this could have been a lot worse. Okay. Well, that House Pets movie, granted, it looks fluffier than Zootopia, but it does look hilarious. He yeah. was very upset to see it doesn't come out till July. <laughs> <sighs> but this, but this idea that like of connecting with characters and being able to do this, it's. I mean, you don't find that maybe it'll be easier after this, or do you like? Do you like watch something like this and you're like, well, this is this what like other people see when they go to films and connect with like 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 a well, rom com or something? I like had that? I had that crisis when I started reading the comic House Pets by a uh, artist named Rick Griffin, where there was a storyline where I know I've referred to this on the podcast before, so I'll be brief. Uh, a human who gets turned into a corgi, which for the is just the perfect analog for this, um, falls in love with another dog, and someone tries to thwart them getting married, and I didn't want them to do that. And that is a sentiment I would literally have no context for. Gotcha, okay. But I know other people have this because it explains so many other forms of media that otherwise are impenetrable to me. And I can totally, I I now have that perspective to bounce off of, and I could see potentially being more invested in a human character as a result. Like, I feel like the door cracked. Right. But it hasn't happened yet. Well, no, but like when we were talking about Hamlet and talking about the idea that, you know, his his emo- the, the emotional context of Hamlet makes sense. Like why he would be upset, why he would feel so motivated to realize justice. I mean, th- I mean, it's, it's like we understand it, but you understand it, but you don't feel it. I mean, is that yeah. like a kind of rough it, and dirty Essentially, yeah. Okay, yeah, exactly. Because it's something that happens and that we know is a part of drama and why people would want to watch film. But like you said, the idea that it's like pulled you in and you connect with the character and you, you know, you don't want what is supposed to happen to happen. It's a hard sell on me. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I mean, even for me, too. I mean, if it's a shit movie, it's hard to do that for us, too. I so think, this right? is an easy sale. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this is an easier sale for you because... It's anthropomorphized animals. There's, I mean, I don't like, know what other thing it could be. Yeah, because I didn't find anything real profound. And I felt the moral tale at the end of this is iffy, if it even exists. Right. We'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, do we want to kind of, uh, are we going to kind of start off and talk about its play? I mean, could maybe sure. should we go around and talk about kids' movies we've enjoyed as adults or something? Is I think we like, should do that near the end. Near the end. Should, okay, good. We've been, uh, we've been getting off topic pretty far already. I, uh. Let's just dig into the movie and see what uh, see there, what comes of it. Uh, the f- this movie opens up with a stage show, and uh, <laughs> rather poignantly, the first word in the entire movie is fear. Mm-hmm. Um, the stage show basically sets up the background of predator versus prey, um, and it seems pretty seems pretty hunky dory, all told in uh, whatever wherever the rabbits are, whatever their middle school where they're putting on this play is. This is where we get introduced to the protagonist, Judy, who wants to be a cop. Uh, Nobody else is hugely digging this. In fact, the entire audience kind of goes silent after a couple of other animals tell us about their exotic, extremely human uh, desires when they grow up, like being an astronaut or being an actuary. Yes. Uh, They both get applause. (laughs) Judy does not. Um, And this was the... um, this is, I don't want to dig too far into any particular scene because we'll be here all day, but uh, we're also introduced to Gideon, who is supposed to be the first act heel of the movie, um, who comes back in a really, really cool way. He may be one of my favorite characters in this film. Um, Gideon is portrayed as the bully. Right. And he is 
a fox. He is a fox. Miss Hops, Judy Hops, Officer Judy Hops, <laughs> yes. is a rabbit. Is a rabbit. They never actually say rabbit. They always say bunny, which I thought was a weird choice. I'm not sure why they did well, that. Well, they were anyway. trying to demean her the whole time. I suppose. Does they call her carrot? Like calls her all carrots. Kind of, yeah, oh yeah, no. They... Yeah. Well, you can't call other bunnies cute. Only bunnies can call bunnies. Yeah, we'll, we'll get. To, yeah, we'll yeah, get to that that's, that's in due part. course. Gideon, um, <laughs> even though Gideon is the jerk in the scene, and basically tells Judy that um, that's the dumbest thing she ever heard. The thing that makes the scene work is that Gideon is not just saying this to put her down. Gideon is the champion of the people mm-hmm. in this particular scene. He's the only person brave enough to say what everyone else is clearly thinking, which that sort of uh, that ties back into that that will tie into the way that Nick and Judy have run into the same problem. It turns out that they both have this same first act heel in their lives, but one overcomes it and one does not. And the reason why is is peculiar in a way that I don't even necessarily know. This is where the, the allegory to human racism, which is clearly here in the movie... But di- I don't think it's that clear. Diverges, I- it diverges in a really cool way because animals actually have physical limitations, which... That comes up in the next and the next and the next scene, so it's probably worth to go to that next scene. Okay, go ahead. Um, Carnival, her parents, in a way that I... The first movie that I can think of that uses characters or even dialogue this way was Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, where the parents are not... It's like the absolute antithesis of show, not tell, Mm -hmm. where her parents literally just tell Judy... That they are happy because they settled. Like, they are so... They are just, like, adamantly opposed to what she's doing. And well, that, that they that they absorbed and took on the role that they're... That what a bunny and society's expectations of bunnies should be. Well, and it's even played off to comedic effect. Like, yes. it's so blunt. It's so utilitarian. Like, they literally just tell her that they're happy because they settled and that they sh- she shouldn't follow her dreams. Well, but that also you fulfilled a purpose in life. Well, I mean, what they do is necessary, good, and important work. I mean, being a farmer, being a carrot farmer as a bunny. I yeah. mean, you know, like, they're, you know, like, this is... But this can be a meaningful existence for a bunny, right? No, it can, but it's just... There's a tremendous economy of dialogue there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> where they just do, there's no heartache about it. Oh, no. They're just like, no, this is exactly who we are. This is who we represent in this movie. Yes, I'm the best bunny I can be. <laughs> which which is funny, although a questionable strategy. Um, and then Gideon leaves, uh, leaves his mark. Judy confronts Gideon, who is stealing tickets from one of her friends at a carnival, and Judy's still wearing her uniform, of course, which she basically from the play, yeah. never yes. takes off from the start of this movie. Um, confronts Gideon, is overpowered pretty traditionally. Um, Gideon gives her a mark on the side of her face and tells her that she'll never amount to anything, which Judy rejects within the scene. Yeah. Like, even though she's overpowered, she is immediately over this. Well, she gets, but not only that, but she gets what she was after. Like, because Gideon steals, like, carnival tickets from these children. Yeah. The, the, uh, Judy seeks the, seeks to intervene, office, you know, uh, yeah. seeks to intervene to get them back, gets physically overpowered and beaten up, essentially. Yeah. And as, you know, the, as the bully walks away, she, of course, has retrieved the tickets. 
So, I mean, she has, I mean... So she won that situation Mission as far as she's yeah, it's, concerned. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it it took a lot. But that's the kind of thing is that, you know, she has these limitations in front of her. But, you know, there's something, I think, a little bit deeper that kind of is running through this where she is, you know, kind of seeking justice. I mean, she is well, wanting to right wrongs. And she cannot lose. She absolutely refuses to do so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, whether she, regardless of the she's way like she has Leslie to, Leslie Nopes. Well, she's indefatigable. Yes. Yeah, no, and that's and that's charming. I mean, that's charming as all get out. I mean, Leslie Nope for all her foibles, which is hilarious, is indefatigable. I mean, she will not give up. And so, she, would this movie be better if you fast forwarded out all of the parts with Judy Hopps? No. See, this is <laughs> this is the part where that analogy breaks down. This is where I'm down. trying to I'm trying to understand why this movie works and like nothing else does. Right. What? Well, I mean, for one thing, uh, just the way that Leslie is played is so awkward; it's insufferable. I don't think Judy suffers from the same uh, the same thing. But it's I love that fucking show. But anyway, let's but, move on. Let's move on. Just try to draw analogies. Oh, oh yeah, well, no, and it's it's it is a close, but I think I think there's enough difference there that. Uh, that uh, can be accounted for. But but also, I mean, there's kind of an, an innate goodness to these people as well. I mean, that's the kind of thing is that they're 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 naively good. And you don't find that to be the case. Like, Nicole. Uh, oh, well, no, I find it to be a fucking problem. Because if I really just want to spill all my can of worms on the table. Okay, so what do the goddamn predators eat? I have been sitting in movie theaters for approximately nine hours over the last two weeks watching this movie and spent countless hours after those viewings thinking about it, and not once did that question pop into my head. Uh, if you need a better example of just how different Nicole's approach is coming into this movie than mine, I can't imagine what it would look like. Okay, this society does not <laughs> fucking work for popsicles. me. What the they fuck do they popsicles. eat? Popsicles, which I'm assuming maybe are blood, yeah. But okay, yeah. So we're oh yeah. So because they never go okay. The origin story that they open with never actually goes into how you get prey and predator to live harmoniously in a city life and what they feed the predators if they're not going to be eating all their fellow city prey. Right. Donuts. Yeah. Okay. I think that's they the can't only live. Food. They can't live on donuts. A, 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 though. Diabe- there's, there's, a rash of diabetes in the predator yeah, community. Yeah. There is some like serious. <laughs> Serious holes here. Oh, you, I, that's they're setting it up for some sequels. You know, I imagine. No, but I, you know, I, I still you know don't I think they're going to come back with a good answer. No, you know for what I think of? No. I think of. I think that they they got about sixty percent of the way through the movie before someone asked that question, and they were like, "Screw they're it, like, fuck." Okay, just just so we're clear, they got sixty percent of the way through writing this, yeah, and then completely scrapped the story. Because it was originally, the reason the first trailer stars Nick is because the movie used to star Nick and Judy was just a side character. Right. But then they have to have some small, squat, little female character to make girls believe that they can do anything because otherwise it wouldn't be a Disney movie, and they right? Can't, that's, right? That's right. So this is, an, this, is, this is a princess story then, right? This yeah, is, that's yeah, what it's just okay, yeah, a yeah, fucking princess, princess story. story. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, I, it's I a mean, Disney animated film. That's I, why I don't <laughs> understand why David has us talking about it. Well, okay, well, but no, I mean, this is a this is a core part of cinema history. I mean, Disney princess films. I mean, for one thing, I don't. I all right. So I liked Disney princess films growing up, and you know, like I'm, I'll admit that straightforward. I liked Sleeping Beauty growing up. I fucking liked Robin Hood growing up. Um, when I was you know a little bit older, princess like, wasn't the focus on Robin Hood. That's why it was so good. Oh yeah, well, but still, I, okay, no, but like. Like something like um, were you like, like Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, Beauty and the Beast. Little I Mermaid. thought was I thought was really fucking whimsical. Mermaid, The Little Mermaid two has, I, in a sense of the of the of the creation of the world itself. This like this idea of fantasy world where even something like 
you know, Cinderella has this, you know, this this big and small comparison world to it. Um, Sleeping Beauty has this, you know, the seven dwarves within it, this this otherworldliness to it. Uh, Beauty and the Beast and 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 the Little Mermaid, you know, under the sea, and then of course this ma- fucking magical haunted, well, a cursed mansion that the Beast resides in. I mean, all of those kind of have this element of fantasy to them that I felt was probably one of Disney's strongest suits. And it's something that, once again, when if we're talking about world building here, I mean, if we're talking about a world that, you know, that that has the the otherworldliness to it. I think that this is what Disney does very, very well. And I think that's, once again, why these films tend to be so popular, is that the, that within their own within their own little terms, and I mean, each Disney movie is a world or universe unto itself. Yeah. I think that this is something that Disney does very, very well. And I think it might be interesting to kind of look at it maybe from this kind of perspective of, you know, it being this continuation of this world-building kind of idea that that Disney princess films try to put forward. Now, I'm not a scholar on the recent spate of Disney films that have come 15 years Because princess culture has come out of the recent films that we have not seen. Well, and that's the other good thing, too, is that this might be a little bit of a rejection from that, right? This might be something that they can say, maybe we can transpose this formula into something different that isn't just about... furries. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, right? Because because (laughs) eight-year-old girls only go so far. So, I I mean, once again, I'm not accepting what has come about in the fucking consumerist cultures of of princess films to a certain extent. But when I was a young kid, you know, watching Disney films was a treat and it was something exciting. And it was something that I bought into in terms of their the the animated world that they created. And to a certain extent, I mean, the fucking zooming ride to Zootopia. Okay, so I was I was hooked, man. We're I was gonna in. talk about we're, we're almost there. We're almost there. We're like one scene away from yeah. that one okay. on our world building situation. Yeah, no. Um so Judy goes to the police academy. And uh, as one would expect of our incorrigible princess, she is constantly in physical danger, which she overcomes because she, Judy is unstoppable. Well, more importantly, in montage format. Oh, yeah, training montage. Gotta have a montage. Well, and you'll notice that um, she constantly speed up until she is reminded of all the people who keep telling her no. Yes. And then suddenly she picks herself up and we get some rocky action going on yeah. and uh, she overcomes every one of the obstacles that initially when she faced it head on she tackles from another and angle of and succeeds she graduates valedictorian valedictorian yeah. of her class yeah. as part of the mammal inclusion initiative yes uh, which is a fun touch um and even at this relatively early stage uh, judy and another form of very basic symbolism Gideon's scar is already gone in the next scene. Yeah, it I, is not on her. I did notice that too. Mm-hmm. And I didn't delve into it, but I did notice. I it. mean, the symbolism of it seems pretty straightforward. She doesn't. She doesn't take it. It. She does not take it with her. Right. She's like, overcome this. She. She is. She's a trier. Right. Like she. She cannot be stopped. So she graduates from the police academy. We meet uh, who turns out to be the villain, uh, Assistant Mayor Bellwether, uh, who is. Sorry. An interesting character. I actually really like the, even though she's very stereotypical. I actually really like the way she's portrayed. She's in the movie. actually probably one of my favorite characters. <laughs> yeah, it was. She's she's, she's fun. good. Like yeah. the, when she's not around the mayor, this like this like reserved uh, aggressive uh, um, insistence that she has, like, yeah. and in her little meek, like sheep like kind of lamb like kind of <laughs> attributes, very cute. Yeah, yeah. It was very good. And J.K. Simmons plays Mary Linehart. Lan- that uh, was fun. Which. Uh, that's an appropriate role for him. Uh, Judy bids farewell to her family, uh, who introduce the first uh, direct 
not it's not negative stereotype because the idea that bunnies can't be cops is technically negative, but foxes are brought up among predators in general as being the worst among them. Right. Um, and that, of course, given that the sidekick of the movie or the co-star, depending on who you are, uh, Nick Wilde is a fox, of course, comes back up. But Judy, in order, she is not buying this at the time because she doesn't buy it for her. She doesn't buy it for anyone exactly, else. Yeah. Zootopia is, as the wordplay implies, utopian, and she is going there because it is the ideal and nothing... Because everyone lives together there. Everybody yeah. lives together there in harmony, and nothing has ever stood in her way. Not for long enough that she couldn't defeat it. Mm -hmm. uh, so she takes a fox repellent spray with her from her parents to make them shut up. Right. And then they leave. And now we get on the bullet train. She puts on her ear pods, listens to some gazelle, play uh, Try Everything, a Shakira song that was written specifically for this movie. Yes. Um, Okay, so yeah, like... So now we're on the way to Zootopia. We're on the way to Zootopia, and this is probably, like, the strongest scene in the whole movie. It's like we were in this little bumpkin bunny town, and then, like, when she takes that train to Zootopia, it is in your face. It is huge. Yeah. The Shakira song is blasting. There's, like, seven different burrows that they detail throughout her ride through... Yeah. Which, it's, it's which replicate huge... specific environments yes. that animals live in, like the Sahara. Yeah, and every the... biome is I found, Okay, I found that that scene was probably the most moving scene in the whole movie. Because, like, well, like, scale-wise, that it's, like, all the excitement. Yeah, absolutely. And it, a hell of a lot of work went into that. Yeah, I was going to say, that that had to take a lot of time. <laughs> and on the way through, as I mean, as you, uh, as you said, all the different biomes are there. And that is... That makes manifest the part where the discrimination between the different species matters, but has been overcome. Like the first demonstration of how Zootopia makes everybody live together is that they live apart. Right. They don't actually live in, they live in harmony, but they don't live in unity. Yeah, there are uh, separate sections. Yeah, and the way that they portray that is very cool. Like there's, uh, the, the, there's a Sahara and a Tundra that are back-to-back where they essentially just extract the heat from the tundra to make the Sahara yes. really hot, and there's, like, geysers and that kind of stuff. Like, visually, that's a really striking scene. Yeah, the whole scene visually I thought was pretty impressive. Yep. It's, well, like, my... it's very moving. Yep. Like, it's, like, <sighs> right in your face. And we're sitting up close-ish a little bit. You know, I thought, yeah. it, was on, I thought it was on the more... Uh, in terms of spectacle, I mean, it was very, very impressive. Yeah. yeah. And it uh, it starts to, now that they're in the city and all the, uh, all the mammals, specifically mammals, uh, there's some... No, no, it's only... Mammals, this is the other thing that why this fucking food chain supply issue that I have is because there's not even any species because it's so mammal-centric. Like, there's no reptiles, there's no insects. What are all these animals eating? Right. They've implied the sequels. We'll get into some of that. Okay. We'll see. Nice. But for now, it's all mammals. It's and all they're mammals of many shapes and sizes. <laughs> and that never leaves. Once they get into the city, this movie is constantly hitting on what I will call as an inside term size play. Um, just constantly emphasizing how small or large, depending on where she is, Judy happens to be. Right. Uh, which was almost obnoxious in 3D. I saw this movie one time in 3D. And man, there are plenty of opportunities for 3D to play a role in that movie. Uh, but she gets there. Um, Again, reminder, reminded of the technical hurdles of keeping 
all of these animals satisfied, like, the river routes and the pneumatic tubes yep. and just, like, the amount of tech necessary to make everybody live in harmony. Ever-present. Right. Oh, but to, like, accommodate as well. So he's yeah. talking about pneumatic tubes. It's, like, where the gerbils and the rats go through these, like, you know, like, the little tubes of their little yeah. places, and that's how yeah. they get around places. And I mean, the crocodile. Well, well crocodiles, right? When the little, they're like the little water section where the crocodiles are there. Was nope, there? those are hippos. Hippos, son of a bitch! <laughs> Damn it! I thought we no, found a, wait, I thought is, a hole in this. This is a very mammal centric. Nah. Hippos, yeah. Exceptionally world. mammalian. Uh, she gets to her apartment. Uh, she has uh, once again. There's a uh, a very strong example of the show not tell principle and the neighbors who literally just tell her that they are obnoxious. Um, <laughs> she's convenient. I mean, yeah, you know, like, at least it she saves time. She, yeah. Don't expect us to apologize for it. Uh. And of course, she loves her apartment because it's her first day in the city, and uh, she's psyched. She uh, everything's new and exciting. Yes, yep. uh, she has her first crack um, when she decides after considering and rejecting it the first time. She goes back, gets the fox repellent after telling herself in her in her rosy mind that everything will be fine. But just in case, she'll bring it along. Yeah, she meets Clawhauser. Which is another one of my favorite characters. He was very strong supporting cast. Yeah, so he's, he's the he's the uh, <laughs> he's the, the desk main clerk. Yeah, desk clerk of the police department. He's an overweight cheetah. Yeah, donut loving cheetah, who's also, of course, a cop. I like yeah. I like actually how they handled his features, like him being a cheetah, but him being like grotesquely overweight. <laughs> well, then he yeah. loses like I just a donut in his collar. Yeah, I just like fat. I liked I liked the whole like uh, like the way he was drawn and the way they they tackled him. I, I said he was a good support. Oh, and, and the voice actor too, phenomenal job as the voice actor for yeah. for that character in particular. For what's uh, Clawhauser? Clawhauser, yeah, yeah, particularly one of the best vocal performances in the film. Also, I felt too. Yeah, it was pretty good. Credit where credits due. Clawhauser was voiced by the over enthusiastic pipes of Nate Torrance. You know, I I'd mentioned this when we got out of the movie theater. There's a there's a really ham fisted reference to racism in. Uh, in his first scene where he calls Judy cute, which is fine if other bunnies do it to each other, but when other species call... Like, that is one of a couple of really ham-fisted call-outs in the movie, which, yeah. um, which only works for me. It did not work the first time. It absolutely did not work for Mike. That was actually fun to watch <laughs> basically the blood run out of his face uh, when that came up because it implied mean? a turn in what this movie was going to be about Yeah, that he was afraid not of. Ready for. And so was I to some degree because if they had handled it worse, it would have ruined – it could have totally ruined the movie. But Clawhauser was the perfect character to emphasize this because he is both a stereotype and an anti-stereotype at the same time for the same reason. Um, it's basically a magical little stereotype triangle where he is a cheetah that is fat because he eats donuts because he's a cop. Which, that's just a great little intersection, which I really appreciated. Um, they meet, uh, she meets Chief Bogo as well as the rest of the, uh, the bullpen of officers. Idris Elba. Yeah, yes. I love me some Idris Elba. He is... Hopefully the new Bond as well. We gotta cross our fingers Ah, with the new James Bond. That would be... It'd be interesting. Um, and skipping most of the uh, most of what has already been hammered in as Judy's shortcomings yeah, as so being a tiny character. Well, yeah, she gets she gets into the police force, and of course, the police force is all really large animals like yeah. rhinos and like what, polar bears, and giraffes, water buffalo. Yeah. yeah, 
And she's like the one really small animal that I guess got in there due to affirmative action. Yeah. Well, and and the vice <laughs> the vice mayor also kind of points this out too, or you know, a small guys have to stick together kind of yeah. a thing. Like they. Well, that's this... like ends up being the whole theme even in the at, at the end with her because she yeah. has like a whole alternative motive. Well, all right, can we just go ahead and address the elephant in the room? <laughs> this, joking, but um. I mean, could we like just? I mean, can I can I bring up the issues of racism? Because I kind of got a great idea that I just got here to speak right. to you guys. Um, Shoot. Right on us. I got I got this idea of the three S's of racism, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> the three S's of racism are stereotype, superiority, and separation. And the idea is is that, I mean, I think that what this film kind of plays through is this idea of stereotypes, right? Where you know, certain in, innate characteristics are born out in certain types of creatures, animals, people, what have you. Yeah. Uh, the next thing is, is there is a kind of uh, a, this idea of superiority that's associated with either the species itself or the traits that they represent. And then there's this idea of, you know, separation between these different entities, right? Yeah. And in a sense, I think that, you know, if, as you look at how, you know, we as humans or, you know, if we want to kind of you know, see some analogies to how this kind of relates to Zootopia. I mean, there's, you know, the the fact that we do have stereotypes that evolve around this idea. Um, there are both, you know, kind of like ones that are typified on their physical appearance, but also ones that are typified based on their character as well. So it's like this idea of small versus large. Cultural. Exactly. Cultural. Yeah, it's, this it's idea almost, it's all like, yeah, Slyness and breakdown. shiftiness of foxes and, you know, honesty or, or uh, for one thing, there's the, there's an elephant character where they're just like, you know, they're going about the memory of this character, even though yeah. she has no memory. And, yeah. You know, yeah. but, um, but then also this kind of like innate, innate superiority that kind of goes through this. Uh, and then, of course, this idea of separation or segregation that kind of happens. And, of course, Zootopia is meant to kind of tear all of those down. And yet, by also kind of, you know, reinforces it through the very mechanism that, you know, gerbils and rodents. I mean, there is a little tiny town section that happens yeah. there, right? As yeah. would be necessary. Exactly. And, and that's actually the thing that makes Zootopia more interesting to me than most other stories like this as allegory. And it's the reason why I don't think this this ties specifically to human racism is that for anyone who has to read about this shit, the most depressing thing about human racism is that human dimorphism is practically non-existent. Like, mm -hmm. the difference between black, white, Latino, etc. is basically skin color. It's co yeah, cosmetic. And, and In culture. a very real sense, very, it's cosmetic. Yeah. Yeah, and and that, it's not even extremely... I mean, it's... It, at the end of the it's day, just it's exceptionally, not extreme. It's so small. Yeah. Whereas in the animal kingdom... It's very real. It's something they actually have to work around. Yes. Um, even if Judy proves this magical exception in this one case, um, gerbils and elephants can't live in the same houses. Like, they just physically can't do it. Right. And the movie has the opportunity to explore that in a way that no human allegory of this can. Mm -hmm. Which is cool, and they should have done a little more with... But again, this movie has sold amazingly overseas, so there will be plenty of sequels. Excellent. Thank, um, thank you, China. Yeah. Or wherever the hell it's selling. I don't actually know which regions it's doing well in. But, <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, but Chief Bogo assigns the valedictorian of the Mammal Initiative program to uh, parking duty, <laughs> which Judy is not happy about. But Bogo doesn't care for an absolutely unobjectionable reason, he has a fucking police force to run. Yes. Yeah, she's one out of many people as far as he's concerned. Yeah, he... Or, she, 
she, animals. She is yeah. thoroughly unproven. He, do, he yeah. doesn't care about her academy training. And she was dumped on him by this inclusion initiative. like By the politicians. Yeah. By the liberals. I mean, there is, a, there is no reason. Like, Bogo is a jerk and probably is an actual jerk, but he got where he was and the police force of Zootopia works as well as it does for a reason. It is because he is a pragmatic guy. And I, it's hard to fault him for that. Yeah, he's got a job to do, damn yeah, it. Yeah, um, but that, um, But that does result in Judy not getting the position she wants. And yet... She takes a total of maybe, uh, what, 10 seconds to figure out how to turn that back into a positive situation. Because um, Bogo jokes on the way out the door that uh, her being a valedictorian, she should be able to write 100 tickets, no problem. So she sets her own goal of 200 before noon. noon. Yeah, by lunch. (laughs) Before noon. And she then does that. Like, again, on... cannot be stopped. She has no obstacles. Right. Up to this point in the movie, literally nothing has actually stood in her way for more than about 15 cinematic seconds. <laughs> Q Fox. Yes. Nick so, Wilde shows up. Gotta have the sly fox. Yep. Yeah. Who's a hustler. Introduced inauspiciously. Uh, <laughs> someone basically calling him out as a fox on the street for walking in front of a van. Um, and Judy gets suspicious because, of course, she gets suspicious because He's it's a, a fox. It's a because fox. if they were real animals, she would be scared of a yeah. fox because yeah. the fox would eat her. That is certainly one justification. And they still know this in the back of their prime, you know, primitive brains somewhere. It's in their dinner. Yeah. yeah, their dinner. <laughs> they're, they're, oh, it's a good joke. It's a really good joke in this movie. <laughs> um, so Judy follows Nick into a popsicle shop, or just a dessert shop, Confectioner. Basically. Okay, fine. It was an elephant confectioner. Yes. That was the best part, actually. Because <laughs> yeah. she basically gets wrapped up in this hustle that they're pulling and intervenes in it. But yes. the way that she ends up pulled into this hustle is a result of her being an overachiever. Nick understanding what kind of a person she actually is, even though she doesn't really understand, which is she is an overcorrector. Uh, Judy walks in, actually has her hand on her fox repellent, while Nick explains uh, to his mark, who is having none of it. The elephant is streetwise, understands what Nick's doing, and attempts to refuse service to yeah. him. And, and he Ju- has a sign that says he can, resu- re- he can refuse service to anyone. To yes. anyone. Yes. Which, I mean, it's not quite as bad as Irish need not apply, but the effect is the same. Right. And, um, but Judy this then falls. Elephant popsicle stand. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. A jumbo pop. Judy falls for this, Don't though, because your kind. Yeah, really. Nick's got his kid in quotes with him and who wants to be an elephant has a little elephant, to be an elephant. Elephant, elephant costume which and is everything. all part of the hustle yeah like, but it's adorable yeah, i mean it, it really cute. was cool like this little this little this little like fox-like child that he has with the elephant costume and it's got a little toot function yeah. on his little horn uh, his little uh, tr- um what are they called the proboscis the trunk yes trunk thank you <laughs> it's like, he's, like a, it's, he's like an elephant shrew or something yeah oh it's it, just adorable it's fucking cute as no, hell no it's and and that fires on all cylinders for Judy's must-save complex because this is a tiny animal being refused service who is trying to be a big animal, which is basically exactly what Judy's doing. Exactly. Judy beats herself up for even thinking that there was something wrong here. Yes. 
and then goes into full contextual blindness mode, pays not only um, keep, keep the somewhat, change moment, yeah. Not only basically blackmails uh, Mr. Jumbo, but uh, <laughs> as the as the sign says, but um, pays for Nick's Jumbo Pop, and then they leave. And one of my favorite favorite lines in the movie, um, or I guess exchange in the movie, uh, Judy tells her uh, tells him her new friend uh, how much it burns her up that uh, people can act that way, and that Nick is a real articulate fellow. Yeah. <laughs> and then Nick says, "Well, that is high praise. Yeah. <laughs> it's rare that I find someone so non patronizing." Yeah. <laughs> So it's basically like Nick Nick was not not only like a step ahead of Judy on this. Judy was not even a Nick Nick thought Judy was more aware of what was going on than he could even imagine at that moment. Well, that, you know, he he's a hustler, so he knows how to read people. So I mean, she's so naive. He can't believe she even made it this far Whoa. in the state that she exists in anyways. And to be fair, I mean, she had probably been in Zootopia for less than 24 hours at this point. Well, no, but the thing I mean, the, and it she did beat up that fox at home when they stole the tickets. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's. I'm trying to. I, I think this film has some nuance to it that is very, very cool, right? This idea that it is a kids' movie, but that an adult that's watching this is kind of like, what you know, what the hell's going on here? And no kid understood that exchange. No, and I think that at the same time, there is this idea that. You know, even if they, even if, once again, if if you if you basically just shave the shave the points or shave the edges off of any emotional scene, you get a sense that you know kids can walk away seeing that you know that that she leaves, uh, hops officer hops leaves feeling positive about something that she's done, and that of course is all you need necessary to set up what happens later on in the plot, which is that you know his scam is revealed. She gets burned. Yeah, she gets burned. Yeah, she gets burned. So I mean, the kids see the broad emotional strokes that are within this thing. I mean, yep. the 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 core and the context. They have to make clues. them nuanced so that parents don't want to shoot themselves when their yes, kids exactly. want to see this yeah. because yeah. that's a real problem when you have kids and have to watch. Kids programming but, all the time, but to like, ha- but to be able to do it in this way, I mean, we got to kind of see like, what is this kind of setting up? I mean, you know, what is this kind of telling kids that you know eventually will understand this or see it later on in their lives? I mean, you I'm know, saying that predators don't harm anything, which is a terrible fucking message. Yeah. Well, but also too that and untrue. It Maybe. seems like it's like it's like victimless a little bit of what's going on here, and I think that you know there's some faults that are within this as well. But yeah, okay, I'll get off my shit for a little bit later here. I can keep going. <laughs> what? I'm gonna get in the way the of movies, moving. the movie. It's no, I got something, but it's I, I a think, soft PG. They uh, they tried to appeal to a very very wide but audience. We might as well get, this is no incredible. Yeah, but well, no, we might as well get to it when we get to the press conference scene. So, you know, like let's <laughs> yeah, roll actually, here. that's the, we okay, have a note so, yeah, anyway. So she, you know, the so hustle is revealed. The hustle is revealed because she follows them, and she realizes that they're just gonna melt the big popsicle down, take it to the rodent town, and serve them all small popsicles right. with it. You know, and Judy on Judy's dime, essentially, because she yeah. paid for the jumbo pop. Yeah. yeah. And then on top of so, that. Uh, boy, did she get fuming after that. Yeah. Well, that's the first time she was defeated in a way that she couldn't retrace. She even she tries to arrest Nick, fails. Yeah. Nick goes into a speech, which seems suspiciously rehearsed <laughs> about crushing people's dreams. I feel like he said that before to someone. Yeah. Um, 
And she, uh, she has to retire defeated for the first time, basically, in her entire life to her apartment, where her mom and dad are thrilled as all get out. <laughs> That she's a meter maid. That she's a meter maid. Yeah, which does it le- it's so much safer. Yeah. Which does at least reveal that her mom and dad, their stereotype about bunnies not being cops is based on a fear of harm. Exactly, because they live in fear of everything because they're rodents, which is, you know, in a real world, pretty that's, low on the food chain. Yeah, and that's a practical thing for a tiny animal that's to be my, concerned about. But unfortunately, that's also one of my three S's of racism. That is a stereotype. It is. All right. It is, but the, her parents... Yeah, but you can't... You, I mean, but you, you can't disregard the fact that, you know... There in the are animal kingdom, disin- this matters. Yeah, this is this is a disadvantage. Yeah. Like, you know, it doesn't matter how friendly you fucking are. All right, well, can, like, we have the, can we just have this talk then? Which one? I got... Okay, so, you know, a lot of what... Because I... <laughs> it's amazing that this film is particularly relevant... To these kinds of issues that are going on in, the, in our in our larger areas, so if I could just diverge for maybe just a couple minutes. <laughs> Which here. one? Okay, I mean the idea of like political correctness, the idea of you know stereotypes and racism that are existing. It's you know there's this sense that you know like okay, so I you know I, run, I teach a class about politics and we talk about you know issues of like racial profiling, which is an issue I like to talk about in my class, which is that you know for many students. You know, I mean, I, I got students who were like two years old on 9-11. You know, like, I got to say that outright, right? So I got, like, students who were very young on 9-11. And to them, you know, terrorism is a Muslim problem. But, like, the second worst terrorist attack was committed by, you know, two white men. You know, two Christian white men. You know, Timothy, Timothy McVeigh. Yeah. Yes. And so, like, and but to them, you know, there's just this clear understanding about what this is. But in a larger sense, too, like, we, I think, all kind of grew up in this you know, wimp ass, everybody gets a medal kind of liberalism, which I really am not a fan of. You know, I'm not a, I don't want to, I want to put that out there right away. But there's also a sense that people really dislike the notion that, you know, that you can be anything, that we, we want to kind of, you know, change the kind of wording that we describe people in to be more accommodating and to allow them an understanding that, you know, they can be something more than what they are. And this idea of, like, not calling, so, for example, like, a crippled person mm-hmm. is no longer crippled, right? They're just physically disadvantaged. And the idea is, is that you're not doing them any, ser- that you're not doing them any service by changing the way you refer to it. But, I mean, language, as we kind of know, is, is a way that you can control people and communicate ideas both politically and socially. So how do we kind of reconcile this idea that, you know, it's not necessarily racism to think these, to think these thoughts or to stereotype people, but, I mean, is there a way that, you know, we kind of, break through this idea of language, right? This idea of, because one reason I wanted to bring up the, the press conference is that there's a problem with with the predators in Zootopia, and that is that they're going savage, right? They are kind of like reverting back to this kind of like natural tendency. They're taking their clothes off. Yeah, they're taking their clothes yeah. off. They're becoming savage That's again. That's like the biggest like igno- like signifier for like savagery. Yeah, it's yeah. like, found them without clothes. Yeah, without clothes, <laughs> and they're savage. I mean, they've they've gone back. All fours. Well, it also, I mean, it's kind of cool, too, like, if we wanted to take a kind of deeper reading, they've also, like, rejected language. I mean, they're growling, they're snarling, they can't communicate, you know, yeah. like, that's yeah. a fucking cool idea here. But, I mean, I mean, are we, you know, because there's a strong strain of political thought which says that, you know, in our society today that, you know, recognizing or trying to correct words so that they can make people feel more empowered or that they can kind of like change the way people think about the kind of stereotypes that this is like a bad thing that this is like reducing our ability to like live together or it's like if worst of all if you know if you listen to trump it makes us a bunch of pussies and like i mean is 
this, the ideas that are kind of hot going through this, I mean, is this idea of stereotype such a bad thing or is it just a way that we're kind of like talking to each other? And how does Zootopia kind of like reflect back on this idea of, of racism? Because, I mean, this is a movie about racism, right? Um, yes. So Except I'm, that it's a movie. But it's not. It's a movie about, I mean, it's, it's not. It's a, it's a movie about speciesism. So what do, how do we kind of distinguish these two ideas from it as we kind of move to the crux of where this story lies, I think? I mean, that's that's why I find the more not the moral necessarily, but the story to be substantially more enjoyable than a standard racism plot for the reason I already described, because human racism is depressingly trivial right. in its divisions. We make we are our, our stereotypes of people and our acculturation of those stereotypes is hundreds of times more stark than the actual differences between the people we're dividing. And yet, do, do, the, do the effects of that then become even more egregious than the, than the mirrored effects that we see in Zootopia as a result of the differences? Not necessarily in this particular movie. Right, exactly. So there's like, you know, this is like that like soft racism or this like, you know, this kind of like soft conflict that happens between the species or between the races now that we're in. Because like, once again, if, I mean... For most people, separation and stereotyping is the idea of racism now. Like, nobody really believes, well, I mean, it's very hard to find people in normal, polite society who have this idea that, like, you know, white people are inherently genetically superior to black people. Like, but yet... Only in the back of their mind. Yeah, exactly. But once again, where does, I mean, is it is it something that kind of hints at this? Is that, like, it, are, do we believe this now because we've, like, changed the way we've referred to each other? We've changed our social patterns. We've changed the way we socially interact with each other. Or is it something that we've kind of just, like, recognized to be actually true? Or, I mean, is it just that we talk differently about it? Or do we kind of, like, recognize it to be true? Because I'm trying... I mean, there's a, there's the, the wider themes that are within this, I think, are kind of interesting. And I'm just trying to see how, you know, how do parents talk about t- this movie to their kids to a certain extent? Like, can you be anything you want to be and overcome something even though society's told you not to do it? I mean, regardless of which, whether we, this would be a racist issue, I mean, would you tell that to a child who was born with one leg? I mean, would you, you know what I mean? There's like actual physical limitations yeah, the, that could exist with Yeah, this. when we go beyond, again, that's that's why it's not really about racism. I mean, yes. the, the handicap comparison is substantially more apt. Okay, good. After a fashion. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, because it's just, you know, I like where this, I like where the story heads. And I did, before we got to this idea of going, you know, going savage and going wild, that the, the central crux of the problem that kind of develops, I wanted to kind of just get that out there because I was afraid we weren't going to get to it if we went a little bit further on with this thing about like confirming the, your own stereotypes to a certain extent. I don't know about that. There's okay. plenty that goes into that pretty strongly. All right, let's push into this thing. So Judy wakes up on her second day of duty. Everything sucks now because she's finally lost. She's uh, basically been defeated. And... She gets into a hot pursuit of uh, some moldy onions, uh, which she uh, she can test. But uh, she makes a long, very Pixar-ish chase interlude, uh, chasing after a weasel. Gets the bad guy. Gets the bad guy. Does all the things she wants to do. Basically, she lives out her fantasy of being on the force in that moment. Even though she wasn't supposed to and does get reprimanded by she the does. large water buffalo. Very, I mean, talk about stereotypes. <laughs> Be any more cop. I mean, all of resistance is like, you know, yelling at her for doing too good of a job. You caught the bad guy, but you did it in the wrong way. You played by your own rules. Yeah, basically, Bogo chews her out. Uh, possibly the best joke in the movie happened there. Uh, unfortunately, uh, 
our uh, viewing audience here did not catch it. There was a very, very good Frozen reference in that. I have zero Frozen yeah, let it go. experience. Let it go. No, no, it's just a shit joke in my vote. No, no. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. It was great. Yeah. All right. No, it was very cute. Uh, one of the things I liked, though, was um, the visual thing when, uh, when they're being chased and he has to mimic the body positions as they're like being rushed through the um, the gerbil uh, yeah. tunnels. That was pretty funny, the little weasel guy. <laughs> the, phys- the physical comedy thing of it, too. Yeah, I like the physicalness of the weasel well, like, when the, he moved. I like the look, because we see one later, but the little like shrew, vermin fucking characters, I like the visual look of them. Like It was really cool how they're like stout and fat, and they got these like pointy little fucking faces on them. Very cute. Very, I, I like the representation on them as well. Because she almost steps onto one, which is an important thing going on later. So she's being chewed out. She she saves she gets, the day, but she doesn't save the day. Yeah, but not in the eyes of the system she loves. And um, she defends. And uh, Mrs. Otterton, the Otter, of course. The John. names are the names are relatively on the nose sometimes. Um, How many Ottertons must there be in that fucking town? That's, hey, like, yeah. that's like Smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Judy Hops. Yeah. You know what are you? What are you gonna do? Um. So. <laughs> There are 14 mammals currently missing, and that is technically what the police force Sans Judy is working on right now, and uh, Mrs. Otterton's husband is missing. And even though Judy is in the process of being chewed out by her boss, um, she takes the initiative, seeing a desperate soul in distress. Miss, a desperate Miss Otterton, yes. pleading with, to help find her husband. Um, Chief Bogo tries to do the politique thing of basically saying we have everybody we're doing everything we can ma'am diminishing expectations and uh judy steps forward bogo doesn't like that of course not one bit but uh assistant mayor bellwether is uh there conveniently conveniently saves enough, the day yeah. saves the day so now judy actually has an objective beyond uh becoming a real cop she uh she is officially a she has 48 a case 48 hours to crack the case of the missing otterton yes she's she's got a uh, first not really first 48 so much as like 20th 48 <laughs> initial 48 yeah um so she's handed a case file and the only thing she can the only thing she knows is that uh, nick apparently knows where uh mr otterton is or was might going. have an idea yes some some inkling um, encounters Nick, uh, defeats him, which uh, she's more than slightly happy about. Um, Outfoxes him, if you would. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. yeah. Okay. Um, and then there's there's basically some buddy cop action for a while. Uh, if we wanted to talk about any particular scene in that. Um, yeah, it really does kind of turn into a buddy cop movie at that Well, juncture. yeah, uh, it's got elements. It's like... I mean, the one thing, too, is that, I mean, Pixar films tend to do this really well. I mean, I loved, like, Toy Story 3 because it was essentially four genre movies, like, crammed into one movie. <laughs> and, like, they tend... But this one kind of becomes this, like, you know, proceed... I mean, it becomes like an episode of Dragnet to a certain extent. You know, like, we get we go yeah. through just the facts yeah. kind of an approach. Um, we do... And then we get, you know, a lot of illusions You know, they're the mismatched it. pair of a yeah. rabbit and a fox. Well, they yeah. go through, they get the clues, and then they get picked up by the mob. I mean, can we, get, can we get, where they pick, get picked up by the yeah, mob? Yeah, we, can, and they we Mr. can pick anything in yeah, that they get sequence. Yeah, they get Mr. Big, who is, of course... Incredibly tiny. So okay, so okay, on the way to see Mr. Big, they're in the Tundra Town, and yes. all of the security are these huge <laughs> polar bears, oh, which yeah. was good. I really like that. And you know, like everyone that comes out is bigger 
than the one yeah, before the, the, that. As the, yeah, the cadre of polar yeah, bears. Yeah, so she keeps waiting to talk to Mr. Big, <laughs> and the polar bears keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But of course, in true Disney fashion, Mr. Big is not a polar bear. No. The polar bears are just the henchmen. Yeah. Mr. Big is a little shrew that is doing his best Marlon Brando a la Godfather, Godfather impersonation. Of... Yeah, well, it's also funny, too, because it, it's it's a subtle technique, but they're... they're as uh, Hops and Wilder are, are are in the in the room, the office. There's a huge desk, and of course he doesn't sit at the desk. He like sits on top of the desk in this tiny little office chair on top of. The, it's a it's a cute scene. Like, and the whole purpose you can kind of see is to like prop him up a little bit. It's just yeah. it's well done. I mean, it's and it's visual gag. It's it's a pretty effective. And now joke. we and we learn that Miss Hops saved Mister Biggs daughter who is yes. of course supposed to be married on this fine day yes um and this basically saves her life because she was about to get iced yeah before <laughs> the daughter intervened and said wait 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 that's the fine bunny that didn't step on me today yeah. see it all comes back around see it's yeah. a good thing she did all those other Good arbitrary deeds, kids. things. They'll save your life. This movie is loaded with Chekhov's guns. Yeah, but, no. uh, well, yeah. Do good <laughs> deeds, kids. It'll prevent you from getting murdered by a mobster. Yes. Yep. Save you from getting iced. Connections, man. Who'd have thought? Um, it's all network. Other scenes that happen in this uh, this chase. There's the naturalist scene, which, eh, whatever. Well, it's a cute joke. Okay, it, so yeah. in, in true Disney fashion, we're at a basically a nudist colony for the animals, and... All of the animals are basically in a, you know, spread eagle split position, position. Like you're looking, yeah. you know, right up their ass. No private parts. Yes. Like everything's nice that and smooth. Is, it was and a it's weird, weird choice It's overall. weird because, you know, everyone else is wearing clothes and that's fine. So, you know, seeing the unclothed animals, that's not the weirdest thing. The weirdest thing is that they have them in a situation where they're all basically bending over with their butt Well, they're doing face, yoga. Yeah, doing she goes to yoga. Yeah. But they have like they're all like there's no yeah there's, the the reason for the joke yeah they're isn't all in yeah, yeah it's very goofy yeah all the animals have been barbied and kenned you know yeah. like, no genitals like like I understand no I understand starfish. the joke but it just it doesn't but then it almost doesn't work it's like why are you guys wearing clothes anyways does <laughs> yeah. it really matter yeah <laughs> how do you procreate what this uh, is oh it. and we also see the only instance of uh, a non mammal species which are the flies that fly around. The, um, what is he? He's like some kind of yak. He's a yak or some yeah. shit. Yeah, so he's got flies in his dingy mane, played by Tommy Chong. Yeah. Um, that's like the only non mammal species I remember seeing up until that point. Right. Yeah. Uncivilized. <laughs> uh, the DMV, which was in one of the trailers. Oh, god damn it. Good use of sloths. I'll Good tell use ya. of animation. Oh, like, that's, that's a scene that doesn't work. In real life, sound sound editing as well. Yeah, like the thing, like of like the stapler. Yeah, the stapler, the the, the chair creaking as they like slowly Just turn to each other. Just the intro to it, because you see all these people in line. You're Fuck, like, oh, the man. DMV, and then of course they they slowly pan up to the desk, which is. It's run by sloth, so of course there's a huge line yeah. at the DMV. Like, how appropriate. No, and like, then to see the other animals react to the yeah. fucking yeah. thing, it's, it's, it's probably, I gotta t say, it's probably one of the best comedic setups that I have seen in a, in any film, let alone a kid's film, in a very, very long time. I was I was laughing very... Better than Mr. Potato Head is a tortilla. Oh, oh damn. Almost, almost, almost. Yeah, I would say yeah. I would say yeah. This is probably clips Mr. Mr. Potato Head as a tortilla. 
Yeah, so Nick and Judy uh, get a plate run by a sloth named a because, sloth oh, named Flash. Flash, Flash yeah. yes, because of course you know even though Judy is on the floor, she doesn't actually have access to any of their. She's their, not on the computer. Yeah, yet. she's yeah, not yeah, the she's computer, not the computer, so she can't access any of their databases. And, and Nick delivers a line, which again puts the light of this just being a um a movie about racism rather than actual more broad speciesism. Uh, are you saying that he's because he's a sloth, he can't be fast? And other than there's a great joke at the very end of the movie, which sort of, which sort of counteracts this point. But sloths are actually slow. Yes, like they don't, they can't actually get around that. Right. Yeah. There's no way to get no way to get through that stereotype. <laughs> yeah. And that one plays out, which is kind of interesting because it's one of the it's one of the only handful of instances where that really ever happens. Uh, but moving on from that, yeah, it's a it's a great scene. And um, they finally learn, they, they finally run into their first savage in the form of the taxi driver, the limo driver, I should say, for Mr. Otterton. Mr. Otterton apparently also having gone savage. Um, they hear the term night howler, which is a canard. Um, and I know that they, uh, we'll get to this in the lab section, but uh, which is coming up here, but uh, Judy fails to uh, apprehend an example of a savage and uh, Chief Bogo demands her badge. Nick steps up for her. They uh, they then reveal in their little uh, elegant getaway in a skylift uh, Nick's side of this story um, where he and Judy diverged because Nick was apparently a rather ambitious individual in his youth as well. He was going to join the Rangers. And uh, the Rangers, based on his wording, uh, not merely had never had a fox, had never had a predator yes. in their ranks. So that's pretty far-reaching on his part, almost like Judy wanting to be a cop. Uh, the only difference on balance uh, is that Nick, Nick's stereotype isn't really holding him down so much as pushing him away. And this was actually, this goes toward, I'm not sure which of your three S's, Ryan, but we'll figure it out. Uh, the reason Judy can get away with being um, above everything else is that Judy's stereotype is that she can't. Whereas Nick's stereotype is that he is. Mm -hmm. um, where Judy can overcome being a comparatively frail, small bunny uh, through other means... Nick's stereotype that is holding him back makes people not trust him yes. in a way that he cannot disprove. So he can't, he can't get the fox out of the ghetto, basically, like he's pressed from the get-go. <laughs> yes, and but the way that he is oppressed is something he cannot really yeah. demonstrate. Well, yeah, but also that by, you know, the only way that you could kind of overcome it is by using guile, you know, stratagems, you know, uh, you know overcoming in an Which unconventional way. Which is why people way. don't trust him anyway. Yeah, exactly. it requires charisma. It's a self-defeating yeah. prophecy. Well, yeah. it's a good, there's a good, I mean, for international politics stuff, there's a good kind of like relationship there when we talk about issues of strategy and, you know, dece deception to achieve goals. And I mean, that's good strategic, that's, that's a good strategic move if you can deceive and still accomplish goals and ideally not lose any credibility along the way. I mean, you know, a lie that's never found out that that wins is a good lie, you know, and it's but at the same time, you're absolutely right, which is that, you know, anything he does to overcome obstacles in the way that Officer Hops does throughout her life, 
right? Inde you know, that in endears her to people instead of confirming the very bias of the Fox and yeah. the Nick Wilde character. And that's, I mean, once it's again... It's a point, it's the difference between the stereotypes. This one is actually poisonous. Yes. Not merely obstructive. Right. Um, and that makes all the difference because, mm -hmm. and, you know, that's Nick... So he became exactly what everyone, you know... Stereotyped him as yeah, like a had, swindling, hustling fox. Yeah, he had no he had no option. And I mean, this scene, the first time I watched it, it seemed exceptionally ham-fisted. I can only imagine what it seemed like for people who don't implicitly care about foxes. But uh, the whole time he's being uh, he's being escorted violently from the uh, the ranger building after giving the oath. Um, all he's saying is, "What did I do wrong?" Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't have a re like. He doesn't have a recourse. That is the only question he can come up. He doesn't know what else he could have done. Yeah. Like that was he well, did it, everything in his power to be with these people and that wasn't enough. Well, no, but that's also why, you know, this kind of like soft racism is so insidious, which is that you haven't done anything. It's like you said, it's who you are. Yeah. I mean, it's well, more importantly, it's what we say you are as well. And this yeah. is once again the kind of like dual relationship that tends to come from, you know, the kind of the kind of it's, once again, it's not racism, but the kind of just like biasing and that we tend to see in, in our in our modern society that I think this movie's speaking towards. I mean, it's just fear of something different. Yeah. Well, also, I just as a minor tangent to that, um, I don't think there's anything particularly timely about that message. I think that's a thoroughly timeless one. Ideally, this this has been around forever. But but people weren't making movies like this in the 1960s or no. There, know, there are no you know movies I mean? like this. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't think either are kind of like that are a taking on these issues, b building a fucking world around these issues, let alone as well. I mean, yeah. this is something that is like, you know, I got to say, I think this is a, this is a this is a bold choice to make a movie like this and to try to find a line that they can operate under where you can both find a positive message from this, but at the same time, try to construct a story that doesn't tend to reinforce the very negative mechanisms you're trying to fucking expose and, and uh, rely actually, on. Actually, no, I have things. I have a question on that message. Yeah, no, yeah, because I think it needs to be dissected a little I, bit. Well, okay, because now, David, you said that this movie got re reworked a bunch, and I ha I feel like because of, like, the like the ambiguous nature of the, I don't know, speciesism that's, yeah. you know, a bigger metaphor for racism that's kind of going on here. <laughs> like, I feel like I feel like that like really took off in and I think we're coming up to it soon in the uh press conference scene. Yeah. Um but like do we know was the movie meant to have that sort of message or did that get built in later after like reconstructing the story constantly? Which which one? Like the the whole pseudo speciesism racist Angle. Oh, that's that was at the heart and soul of this movie from the inception. The only thing that they did, which they had to do, they they realized just as an executive decision they had to do. You, Zootopia is just, you know, it, it's a pun in its current form right. on zoo and utopia. In the original formulation of this movie, it was an ironic pun. Okay. Yeah, like it, for I, zoo dystopia. Yeah, exactly. Because in the original version of this. All the predator, where the press conference we keep alluding to, um, where that kicks off a true distrust between predators and prey, was where the movie originally started. All of the predators had collars on them in the original version of the movie, and they could not put a story together where kids would not just hate the city, and they had to renege on that. Right. 
Okay. So the idea is is that you know these animals, these predators that are going savage, are being you know have to be controlled. You know their tendencies have to be controlled from this because ultimately. Well, and that that ties directly into the ranger scene where we see it. It com- comes up in a couple of other places, but the the very very strong symbolism of a muzzle. Yeah. comes into play. Yeah. Because a muzzle is something only a predator That's needs why, to be okay, restrained by. This is why I have a problem with the whole movie as a whole. It's like, I just don't buy into these... I mean, I don't know if I buy in that these predators would even want to coexist with these animals. Like, I still don't know what the fuck they're eating, and they're 10% of the population. Okay, this is another weird thing. I've. They're 10% of the population, though the mayor is a lion. You know, this assistant mayor, Mayweather is, you know, obviously a prey advocate, you know, because she keeps saying that they're 90% of the population. So, like, I don't... How how did these people even get along to be, begin with? Like, what is the incentive that's, of the predators to even, like, do this? Well, that's, <laughs> that, that sort of... I don't know. That That's a premise you kind of just have to grant. I mean, the movie uh, deliberately does not go into it. The stage play yeah. immediately no, transitions I, I, I from one to I guess that's why I'm bringing it up well, no, because it never could... gets it never gets crossed. I mean, why these are the... are the things that like I think of when well, I watch well, it. Well, no, I, but that's that's the that's the kind of thing where it's that you have to grant that in the premise or it doesn't work. I mean, why are there superheroes in the Incredibles? Well, no, but, it's never brought up. But then also, I mean, you've got this idea too that if it did occur, it would have been the prey. That, I mean, excuse me, it would have been the predators that made the initial gambit to in, for inclusion. I mean, it would it wouldn't make sense that the prey would that the prey would make you know would would say would seek inclusiveness. I mean, you get this kind of you know idealized sense that the predators are the ones who desired inclusion for some reason. Maybe. It's hard to say. I mean, yeah, what, no, it's like speculation it's, it's, on my part. Yeah, but it would not, be something that it'd be the only feasible scenario that you know that we could make this work to a certain extent too. I mean, it could start with slavery the, the way these all do. Particularly aggrieved, but at the same time, it can kind of relate to the fact that you know, you know, power, aggression, you know, these things that kind of that kind of come from leadership or larger positions. Once again, those are the ten, those are, can be the the stereotypes that are reinforced through you know people want a strong leader to you know to, to elect mayor kind yeah. of a thing. Like I mean, it's kind of neat to kind of like see all the parallels. Because I'm assuming he was elected and he was elected within a population of ninety percent prey animals. Yeah, well, so. he had to he had to put Bellwether on the uh, on the ticket to get the sheep vote. Yeah, exactly. So. Hilarious. Yeah. Oh boy, did that bite him in the ass later. I know. Well, I mean, but you know, okay. So in the end, what we find is is that Mr. Otterton, along with our uh, Black Panther friend, along with all of the missing all the missing animal cases, that, are being that, held yes. in a in a sanitarium in a clandestine facility on the side of a waterfall, where or all clandestine facilities are held account- accountable, which uh, is apparently. monitored exclusively by wolves, which seemed to be a strange element in this movie, uh, where the closest thing we have to an actual like physical stereotype is the sloths up to this point. The wolves actually still like howl. A behavioral stereotype, they, they, which, yes, is, which they, is funny. They behave almost exactly like wolves that can talk. Yeah. yeah. Which, um, it once again, is probably one of the better jokes is when they have to get around them and it's a like, sort of howl off. And it, yeah. Like, oh, they can't control it. They yeah, got, that yeah. was that was that was oh, a good scene. That's good shit. So okay, regardless of which, boom, Mr. Otterton found still savage. Turns out the 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 lion mayor is aware of the scenario and yet has kept the has been capturing these animals and keeping them and hiding them, trying to figure out why they've gone savage, right? Because he, of course, being a predator, has a distinct 
incentive to keep this under the mat, right? To keep this idea yes. that predators are going savage and perhaps attacking or mauling the prey. And they don't dynamic. know why yeah, they at don't this know. point. So they're trying to figure out what's going on. Though to be fair to Mayor Lionheart, um, his point as he's being escorted off the premises that saying what they think is the case at this point is not it's not merely bad for him that would just this is an instance where a lie is an absolutely conscionable thing it's like a state secret yeah level because you problem. don't want to cause chaos yeah, the, and everyone to freak out the yeah. panic about this especially for an unconfirmed cause is a very realistic scenario in which you wouldn't fucking tell anybody yeah absolutely stuff. Um, but that happens, and um, the mayor gets arrested. Uh, Assistant Mayor Bellwether becomes the actual mayor, and there's a press conference. The press conference scene could have been done better, but I think in general it works okay, because uh, rewriting that scene more eloquently would have been really... That's a hard scene to write. Like, they put a lot of stuff in that scene. Yeah, and you got to keep it simple as well. Well, and that's that's kind of the irony is that in spite of the fact that some of it was a little hammy, uh, I've been in the theater multiple times for this movie, and small children mm -hmm. at this point become very noticeable because it is clear I, there's there's plenty of psych research uh, to suggest that when kids are not learning, when they don't understand what's going on, they stop paying attention. Mm -hmm. It's clear most of the children stop paying they attention. They check out then. right yeah. at about this they, point. They don't know what's going on. Right. Um but Judy essentially gets up on stage and attempts to tackle a new obstacle uh, that she has not encountered. Media relations. Media relations. Yeah. And this she is... doesn't realize that, you know, sometimes you need to not divulge the whole truth. But, but Choose your words carefully. Yeah, she, but, she has no filter. But yeah. the problem is that she doesn't... Well, no, she starts with a filter. It fails almost immediately. Because yeah. she's basically... She's asked, what's the connection? And then she's essentially just asked the same question again. And then and she, she totally falters. falls into the trap. But the reason she falls into the trap is that this is a kind of obstacle that she is not aware of, which is this is a time-sensitive obstacle. Mm -hmm. Every time she runs into a pratfall prior to this, um, she readdresses it and attacks it in another direction. And in a press conference, she doesn't have time to do that. So all she does is continue to assert confidence. Right. Which turns out to be a complete disaster. Yeah. Um, Don't fake it till you make it, kids. At least she could have used a little media relation coaching. She got a little. She needed more. She needed more. I don't right. think they realized how how much she was going to let out of the bag. Don't they have up there. press conference one on one and police training? Come on. What? She, She's she, only been on the force for like three days. Yeah. I'd have, that'd be like fucking class one. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> this press conference is over. Repeat after me. This press conference is over. Okay. Is so. that is that a political science? Uh, tidbit there well the, i mean it's the, how to survive a sex yeah scandal. exactly i got you figured out man i got you i can do this you got to get your your shame face going on and move on with your life yeah so she loses a friend at that point and uh the city goes into a degree of disarray now that 10 percent of their population is being vilified which has been justified by racial profiling oh my god serious species profiling going yeah, even on. to the point where our beloved clawhauser Yes. Our fat cheetah that we all loved from mm. the beginning that likes to eat donuts, he's getting relocated to the records because they don't want to offend people by yeah. having a predator at the front desk. Yeah, they don't want to be the face of the police department. Yeah. Yeah. The face. <laughs> Speaking of which, the face of the police department is now Judy. 
Um, <laughs> and this, of course... Boy, that affirmative action works quick. Damn. Well, and not undeserved. She managed to crack this case wide open, get the mayor arrested in three days. That's pretty impressive. Um, she is a whirlwind force, and she finally realizes... Uh, that whirlwinds are actually destructive yes. at this moment where her ability to succeed has finally actually failed her. Yeah, she's uh, taking people down with her now. Yeah, and now now the fact that she is an unstoppable force is ha- is causing real damage, and she has her turning point in the movie where she's she's being asked by Maribel Weather to basically be the face of the ZPD, and even Chief Bogo's turned around on her for obvious reasons, and she just she realizes what happens, and her ego finally for the first time shatters, and she just says, I'm not a hero. Because I came here to make a difference, but I think I, I think I broke it. Well, but she's we got to say too that she's made a difference in a in a in a, an important way. Both it's because she's had a personal failing, which is that part of the problem with the press conference is that she tends to reassert what I call overconfirmation, if you will. She tends to overconfirm the fact that only predators are going savage, right? Yeah. They're reconfirming their, their their primitive nature here in this problem, and this is this is like I think again once once again a larger issue. Which is that not only does she kind of over-confirm the fact that, you know, only predators are going savage, but that, of course, that only predators could go savage. Yes. And, like, this tends to become this thing where, you know, they're, they're once again, you're over-confirming. I mean, we have to be careful of them because of who they are. And then we begin to treat them differently. And, I mean, this is, I mean, this is part of the real problem, which is that it is, a, we've talked before this, I mean, if you continually tell someone something, right, if you say, you as for who you are and what you represent in our society this is who you are this is what you do and to break out of that mold is not really appropriate i mean and once again if if someone was telling you this is who you are this is what you do well you know you might have the nick wild kind of re- reaction which is that if this is what people expect from me then this is what they'll fucking get when they see me well no this is but the, uh, what i agree with that but there's a there's an additional layer to this which makes mean? it even worse where this isn't what you are, this is what you could be. Or should? I mean, could no, and should? No, they don't want, no one should be savage. Right. We're clear that's not a thing anybody wants. But only predators can be savage. Right. And that's far more insidious. Because it doesn't mean that we can, we can treat you with faux respect while fearing you. Right. Even though you're not currently displaying the undesirable attributes because at any time they could crop up. That's where the fear comes in because you cannot be confident around a predator if they have the possibility of going savage. If they were all savage, that would be completely different. Yeah. And it's, but it's, it's like that. Cause you even get, I mean, you get a really great scene in the kind of montage where hops is like realizing her mistake where, you know, a woman and her baby, you know, it's like a it's like a, a purse clutching moment, right? Mm-hmm. When a yeah. black man enters a, a hotel, I mean, in, a, in an elevator with a white woman, she's going to hold onto her purse a little bit tighter, right? When a when a sheep is now in an elevator with a with a predator, <clears throat> she's going to you know cru- uh, you know feel a little feel that consternation kind of a thing. And I mean, it is that kind of like you know that 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 overall that over confirmation, which is that you know if you're if you're a predator, you're going to feel. I mean, you're a human being. You're fucking. I mean, you're, you're a predator. You're you're a sentient being. You're going to feel that that mood change within the person you're in, uh, interacting with. If you're a black man, you're going to feel that change. You're going to see, you're going to notice that and and feel the way that people treat you differently. And well, I mean, once again, it kind of 
I mean, but but the difference again is that it's this is not who you are. This is who you could be. It fits back into the fox metaphor again, because where Nick can't escape being sly because that is a form of mistrust. If all predators were just now identifiable as savage, if everyone could assume that the predators are all going to go savage, they would just declare war on the predators and it'd be over. But why? Yeah, but they don't. No, they don't because they don't believe that. It is still fear oriented. I mean, the well, example like I said, here would be. Because they still don't actually if, know why this if, is happening. If all black people were actually criminals, problem solved. Right. It's us versus them. Yes. That's not the case. Right. And that is where it is fear as opposed to hatred. Right. And that is that. That's like the same with the Muslim thing, too. Like your 9 yeah, 11 newbies all... who think that it's just a Muslim problem, but the problem is the gray area that separates the fact that most of them aren't terrorists. It's just the couple that are. Yeah. And that fear is far more destructive socially. And that's, that's the way fear harder to that overcome. it's going through the whole yeah, it's, movie as a theme. It's trivial. Yeah. Well, and it's yeah. trivial to deal with problems where axiomatically something is true. It's when it tends to be true within a subset. Like that level of haziness is what makes this so hard. Yeah, but I think that it's also pretty static to look at it that way too. Because in the in the longer run, uh, you, know, you know, like that that fear justifies hatred that comes after that. I mean, you know, this, well, well, yeah, we're but, on the way to this. That we are, you know, halfway through the movie, we're on the way to dystopia in this in this precious balance of pre- predator versus prey. In yeah, dystopia. But, yeah, but the hatred is impossible to combat when it's justifiable this way. Right. It is way, way, way harder to fight because you have things you can point at. And again, it's not black and white. It's not Axis versus allies. Yeah. The Nazis are all evil people, even though that didn't actually turn out to be true. If you can just assume that, life is much more straightforward. Right. Well, and I think uh, who's now Mayweather, or Mayor Mayweather, I mean, yeah. she, I think, does see like that, which is what is motivating her. Yeah, she's an us-versus-themer. Yeah, I she mean, is well, yeah. seriously an us-versus-themer. But, but she is using the mechanic of fear and not hatred. She re- yeah. she references it many times. Prey are 90% of the population, and they're scared. Mm-hmm. Because, by all rights, given a technological society, the prey could very easily overpower the predators, if that's really what they wanted to do. But they don't believe that up front, and nor should they, because not all predators are savage. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, there's a little arrow on that uh, on that logic matrix where maybe they could. So all Bellwether has to do is keep inching that along until she gets what she wants, um, and she plays which is on a that. reason to put her us versus them platform out there. Yeah, all right. Now she's got an agenda. That's, yes, she does. That's all it takes, and her mechanism for it is that fear. Um, Judy then goes home. I know this she, is yeah, funny. She quits the force, goes yeah. back home. She resigns. It's been two weeks. You've gotta have it's that, been a rough You've got to have that tail between your legs scene. Yeah, the, the little puff right, tucked between the legs. That sets up what might be my favorite okay, scene Okay, so in break context. down your favorite scene. Oh, so good. takes care of Judy while she's home. So, so Judy is having her classic general downer thing. And then her parents try to comfort her, and they fail. And then Gideon shows back up, and Gideon is played off for a laugh in this scene, um, 
where he's apparently a pastry chef now, and he's kind of on the ups. With, I felt like he was like neutered or lobotomized. He's um he's, he's seen the air of his way. Okay, so here is where this movie is more morally mature than any kids movie I've ever seen. Right, because Gideon is the first act heel. And even though he gives an exceptionally boilerplate response when Judy shows up, he literally says, you know, the product of, like, unchecked rage and aggression, and I was a major jerk. All right. So Judy is fighting evil, almost completely personified in Gideon the whole time. And Gideon in the background, after being stood up to once... Over the course of whatever society has done to him in that time, realizes that that was wrong and merely overcomes it in himself and becomes a good person. Okay, that is the correct avenue. That is the way that's supposed to work. So Judy has just run into the grade A perfect example of of how Zootopia becomes Zootopia. Right. Which is played off for a joke in the movie, but it was still exceptionally powerful. Yeah, no doubt. And then the rest of the movie wraps up. Um, from there, you know, it's, uh, I mean, we covered we covered most of what makes the final scene relevant. Bellwether, well, Bellwether mean, turns on. Yeah, well, basically, we find out that all of these predators that are going savage, um, Bellwether's drugging them to do it. <laughs> yep. So they're not doing this on their own. They don't have any control. They're being targeted and fed a specific drug that creates this response. And it's all part of Mayweather's master plan yes. to get rid of the predators. From Zootopia. Well, they, I Not mean, get rid of, but basically... Well, she wants to maintain power through yeah. fear. Right. And the easiest avenue she has is to dark predators. Mm-hmm. Uh, that keeps her in office. Right. Um, it's a pretty good Breaking Bad reference in there. But uh, beyond that... Uh, Doug, Jesse, and Walter are the three Rams running the... Doug, Jesse, and Walter? Very yeah. cool. Okay. All right. Um, uh, but beyond that, no. And then it it's, it rounds on it again. It talks about fear one more time, and then the movie more or less wraps up, and it has an exceptionally um, nauseating Disney-like Hollywood ending where everything seems okay, but it's a kid's movie, so... Well, yeah. Um, Nick Wilde gets on the uh, he gets he gets on the force as well. He's a small mammal, but also for the first fox on the force, yes. I guess. Yep. Yes, so Clawhauser gets his spot back in the Claw- front of the yeah. office. Yeah, and um, and and you know the movie you know begins this like buddy like idea as well, and you know I think that and then wraps up with another gazelle concert. Yeah, with a, with a full on fucking yeah, yeah. gazelle concert yeah. as well. And another, she's and dancing. Another... She's got all the she's got all the lions as her background yeah. dancers. Yeah. No, her. that was that's uh, the easy litmus test for whether or not you were a furry watching this movie is if you'll you'll notice while the tigers are dancing in that scene, there's a gazelle in the middle of them. Right? Yeah. Well, no. See, you wouldn't have noticed that. Oh, you, you were know, a furry. Yeah, gotcha. Because it's not what you're looking at. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, those those dancers are nice. This, huh? this, yeah. Okay. Oh, I because I just noticed the juxtaposition. I was like, oh, how cute. They have the gazelle, which is the prey, who's the most famous, you know, singer in all of Zootopia. And all her background dancers are predators that I'm sure would love to eat her if they hadn't been, I don't well, know. Well, the good thing is whatever, all, like, neutered in 
yeah. to some extent. I, we don't know exactly how, gotcha. so that they can all live together yeah. so Nicole, in Zootopia. So Nicole, I think, I think initially, life's not a zero-sum game, Nicole. Yeah, no, I think she's. I think that I this think this is about harmony, literal harmony. Yeah, no, but Nicole's clearly seen some dystopian trends in this thing here. <laughs> like she's clearly, seen, she's clearly seen. I'm just, I, you know. It, She's seen the jewel in the palm class. She's seen the jewel in the so palm. It's so funny because, like, Logan's I look, run. I, you know, like, I always go back to my nature is that is not that harmonious kind yes. of thing, and and animals is like a weird gray area, and this is yet again another Disney like completely construing how people perceive animals. Well, but, but it's deliberate. Like, it's in the title. It deliberately no, know, is. It's deliberately attempting to combat that. Well, I mean, that's why you didn't think I should really watch this anyways, because I, I, you know, wasn't really in the spirit of it. But I do have a question for you, David. So oh, how, yeah? how does this movie um, improve, like, furry, non-furry uh, relations? Relations? relations yeah. um... Because I felt like this is the first time, like, something, you know, like mass marketing has really directed itself towards your subset which usually gets no commercial advertising yeah. right. it has it has marketing. a handful of effects number one there will be a lot more furries in the next anthrocon um number two it gives us something to point to which is really really convenient so you guys um, all have something in like a common we can look there are it is so hard there is a tremendous paucity which is a terrible juxtaposition of words <laughs> Of things where if I'm a furry and I don't feel like explaining it, that I can go, here, look at that, without giving a million qualifications or caveats. Right. This movie works. This movie is something we can point to and go, this is what we're all about, which gotcha. is tremendously useful. Um, it also doesn't hurt that it's a good movie, uh, which many movies that would normally classify that are, are not. Again, mm -hmm. this is, I mean, Nicole, I, under, I know you don't like the... The, the tropes that make this a kid's movie, but this is a this is still a really good movie overall in yeah. the grand scheme of what it could have been. You can do anything you want. Fuck that. I mean, DreamWorks as a studio demonstrates that that's this is not normally what, what we get. What does DreamWorks do? It's they're the ones who do all of the. Okay, anytime you see a cover of a movie with animals that are all like posing with goofy faces. That's Madagascar. A, Madagascar. Over the okay. Hedge. These movies all look exactly the same from the outside. See, someone who deals with live animals and not anthropomorphized, and like, like there's a weird dis. I, I'm just realizing how far like our, our our relationship with animals is because like I deal with like real animals and and like you know like actual nature structures. Well, so I don't, I, I don't really care about actual animals. That's what I mean. It's weird. So like, but I'm looking through it at at, at a lens of like speciation through like how animal species actually interact, and you're like looking at it through like finally something's talking to my anthropomorphized like. You know, human emotions on an animal, like you know, like, thing that I relate to through the world. So I'm just saying that our 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 relation is very different in terms of like, well, yeah, what well, we think about when we see animals. Well, and I, I want to make it perfectly clear how arbitrary I understand my affections to be. Yeah, no, but it's still something that that it's just so that lenses are very different. Yeah. Well, yeah, but there's just a kind of there's that there's that natural reaction if you I mean I want to call, I don't it's a terrible phrase natural reaction but there is a kind of like just a kind of an, an innate way that like we can kind of interact with these things and I mean sometimes it's best not to overanalyze those things um, but sometimes it we're can gonna be. find out yeah, yeah. <laughs> together uh, so but I mean overall I mean can we. Um, 
so the idea that this can be good furry propaganda, uh, but also something that, you know, it, when, like you said, this can be something that you can point to someone and say, you know, this is something that I see or that I experience in a very visceral level, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, exactly. And I think that that's kind of an idea, which is that, you know, the way that, and I don't, I don't want to bring it up this way, but like the idea of like homosexuality to someone who's not attracted to, an, to, to the other sex is the idea that, you know, when you talk to someone who, who feels that way, you know, who is a homosexual or who is gay or lesbian or, or transgender, there's just this, you know, an innate understanding that this is the way I am. And, you know, I think that it's kind of cool to like, you know, be able to, to find a way for someone who would be curious about that to have something that they could point to to say like this is this can help clue you into this and point to it without shame. Yeah, exactly. That is well, in that it's something too that you don't that up until now you you know there there has been a kind of barrier to to, yeah. saying, to doing that as well. And and as a product of what I mean, homosexuality. I'm not trying Tense, to no, 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 yeah, no, no, I mean? no, 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 yeah, I, no, no, it's, it's a box. We're making trying to, a no, 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 I'm, I'm there, working, yeah. we're, we're <laughs> talking past each other. That's a perfect analogy. Okay, good. Because the point at which you are sorting out gender sexual confusions within yourself tends to be adolescence, and that's the exact time most people identify themselves as furry. They go right. hand in hand well, for a variety of reasons. Yeah. But the problem is the reason why Zootopia is so important in that general pantheon is that that means most of the content is being constructed by adolescents mm -hmm. and I love some of the work they do but it is too inside baseball or as you would expect from adolescents entirely too sexual to present on a on yeah. a surface level yeah I, the idea of it being puerile is a little difficult too because you know it, it, the idea that there can be like a nuanced emotional co context or relationship that develops within that, I don't think is something that you tend to find, like... But sexuals in the term homosexual. Right. You have to somehow get around that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's that scares more than a few parents off, is that that is the first point of contact. That's what made, I mean, not to pull this too far back, but that's what made gay marriage successful so rapidly was that the conversation turned to the fact that these people... I mean, they have sex love, outside of they marriage. Love yeah. They love each yeah, exactly. other. They love each other. That was it. Was a contextual thing. And furry is exactly the same way. Where you have, you know, furry is exactly as much about sex as everyone else's lives are about sex. And when you're a teen, your life is it's predominantly about, about sex. sex. Yeah. So of course, <laughs> well, it's it, going to be full of. That. And it should be true that your brain is doing that to you as well. No, you no know, one like, can it, help it. At yeah, that exactly. <laughs> it's it's just that that ends up being conflated. That's why I mean, that's why the furry subculture is more or less deservedly seen as borderline degenerate half the time because it is adolescents who have already copped to That's okay. doing we, used to something. Make, we used to make that comparison to our gay friends too about their promiscuous, their, their promiscuous lifestyles. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that it, it because you're already beyond the pale. Yeah. There's no reason to hold back anymore. Yeah, and exactly. you can even go into dishonest degrees of deviancy as mm -hmm. a result. And I think plenty of the fur community does that. Well, and too that you know I think that we've kind of talked this idea about like overconfirming when society kind of puts this like almost like you said like a like a kind of degenerate. That's like, exactly what yeah, it's like. Yeah, like then it's like well fine then we'll fucking yeah we're going yeah. all the yeah, way yeah like we're going to orgies and shit like no, that. No, that's and that's a like, very real thing. And it's and it's the and exactly and so it's but you know for, to the people on the outside here right like. They are very what, what I think we're trying to see in the larger context, which is that when if that is identified by someone that like, you know, you might be kind of 
influencing the situation and the way that you label it and the way that you stereotype it and the way that you treat someone like they're a degenerate because they're a furry, homosexual, lesbian, transgender, whatever. Like, you are part of the problem. Like, this is the kind of visceral reaction that some people are having to this kind of, you know, this kind of liberalization in our society that's saying it's, that's trying to open up these different fault lines in sexuality and identity and, in our society. And people are saying, I don't like to be told that I'm making people feel uncomfortable by calling them a degenerate because they are a different group of people than me. And the strange thing is, is that once again, the way that the way that people are trying to stereotype, you know, uh, separate and then feel superior to people that are different from them is part of the problem is, is that that's why I have a hard time even thinking the idea of racism, because the way that people stereotype and treat down or discriminate against people who are different sexually from them is not racism, right? It's a different grouping of the, it's a different way that these, that this group of people are being oppressed and treated differently. And I don't think we have a good word to kind of describe it. And yet, well, yeah, because it's not race. It's well, not a no, race we issue. Have a, we have a word for it. It's just that that word has been blown out of proportion and is meaningless now. It's bigotry. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But, but we which, use that word for everything. Exactly. Now. Much, And that's where racism, because that's where people will say that, you know, Muslims are terrorists and, you know, they'll get, it's great. You know, I love Twitter because it's most, you know, it's, it's a horrible place. Uh, but it's like, will someone say, well, you know, they'll try to get around it. Well, they, they'll say like, well, Muslims aren't a race. I'm not a racist kind of a thing, you know? And it's like, well, no, you're a fucking bigot. And that's not, like you said, that's but not exactly. The word doesn't, it, it's lost all of its power. It well, exactly too, yeah. It's of, it's of no value anymore. Well, but also that, once again, it's, it's a lot of the people who would perpetrate these kinds of, who would intentionally try to make someone who would muzzle someone if you will in real life because of who they were or what they were trying to express and make them feel the feel bad for what they for who they are and and openly being who they want to be the people that are perpetrating that on others are developing a kind of you know a, a stone like skin to fucking keep out the rest of the world now right the the fear and frustration that they ho that they have towards that group of people you know, they're hardening their positions to a certain extent. And I think that it's interesting to see that a movie like Zootopia is doing so well because I think that there's a large group of people in our society that I don't think are fucking either seeing this message or who might be pissed off when they come out of this movie. Oh, yeah. Well, I I have no idea how my mom will take this movie. Well, even then, I mean, have you... Have you She'll has you think been... it's a cute animal movie. Yeah, it's, funny. it's like you get like, kids that... as well. Like, yeah, like what's going you, on. you just... You just... You got a movie about a bunny <laughs> and a gazelle that sings. I almost had her on this podcast. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I very nearly had her on for this one. Well, I mean, in the end... For that reason. I mean, as a, as a kid's movie, I think it's a good kid's movie. I gotta <laughs> say, I think it's a good kid's movie. It, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm just saying this, like, trying to remember, what, like, what it's like to have to sit through kids with movies. It might be, like, a little long. Like you said, there are lulls in the movie where, you know, you can tell that the kids don't understand what's going on, so they start yep. acting up. It's... It's a little dense for a kid's movie, um, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Nicole, do you have, like, any kid's movies? I mean, we're going to get to this that I, That I, like, read, I mean, that no, I like I mean, to watch. That you have, like, a like a, like a, a sense for or something like that? Like, you know, like... A, a, okay, so, like, between... I mean, I can tell you if... Like, I can tell you what my favorite kid's movie was at what age. So, four to six was the animal Robin Hood, which okay. is all animals. But they don't awesome. wear pants. They only have tops on. Good enough. This Risque. one this one they, they wear they, yeah, like the animals now go full full clothes. Full shame. Twentieth yeah. century. <laughs> 
Like, so I could tell you, I could tell you, like, at what age I liked what kids' movies, but I, I'll be honest with you, when people tell me about kids' movies that they liked as a kid and I try to go back and watch them, I, it, it's usually not a good result. I feel like you have to have been there. <laughs> right. <laughs> But like we watched The Incredibles. I mean, that wasn't a terrible experience for you, right? No, I, I enjoy The Incredibles. It's probably... The Incredibles is a serious edge case, though. I like mean, to... I'm pretty sure it was a PG-13 Pixar movie. Uh, okay. But like Toy Stories or anything like that? Not, not a fan? I mean, I really like Toy Story between the ages of, oh, God, however old you are in ninth and 10th grade. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I, oh, Incredibles may actually be the first PG, not G. Whatever. Incredibles is way darker than most kids' movies. Right on. <sighs> I mean, oh, okay, I, I, I have to appreciate, and David and I had discussed this prior to me seeing it, I, ha I do appreciate the fact that nobody's mother died. <laughs> yeah, this, this breaks <laughs> a handful of tropes for as many as um, it follows. Yeah, I didn't have to deal with any kind of miserable getting lost and being separated from the family story. Okay. Like, I didn't have to deal with, any, like, Disney movies still hold like i have this strong feeling of just like dread and depressing like weight that makes me not like makes me think of being a child as miserable having to watch this stuff because like everything was always like getting lost or like killing somebody's mom no one and they always wanted movie. to like torture you as a small child with these kids movies and i do appreciate the fact that i feel like we are post torturing small children through like the loss of loved ones in the media that we produce for them i can't appreciate that well all right then uh <laughs> so i like kids movies Who killed bambi i like kids movies i um i think kids need to deal with harsh emotions when they're young so you know i think kids i think i think swimming lessons for babies is an excellent idea you know but uh you know, it's just me. I'm a deep end kind of a guy, and uh, I like. I mean, once again, but it's it's also true too that like I enjoy like horror movies. I haven't seen The Witch yet, and I'm going to go see that. I might see that uh, in the next couple of days or so. But once again, you're not a fan of horror movies, right? I don't do horror movies. Yeah, David, you're a fan no, of horror. I don't like horror. Yeah, see, I like I like being I like being scared, right? I like that idea. You know that who I likes can... horror movies? What's that? Our mom. Who is going to be on this podcast? <laughs> She's yeah, no. the only person I know who watches horror movies, but then is actually scared of them. Well, I got, I get, I get, I like the jumps. I mean, I do like the idea that you can, that, like, so for the best, the best horror movie I've seen, actually, one of the best horror movies in the last ten years or so has been It Follows. That is a very, very good horror. movie. Is that movie. the Swedish vampire one? No, that's. Um, let the right one in. Yeah, let the right one I in. Only that got was about ten minutes into that. That's one. not too bad, but no, it follows. Was fucking very, very good horror movie, and it just has this. Uh, it just has a sense that you know there is a kind of dread and terror that can exist in the world, and I don't mind fucking giving myself over to it, even though it is anxiety producing and my palms sweat and I feel like nervous and anxious and I get scared. We just did Catch Twenty Two. Like that's scary enough than any. Of these <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I mean, it is. I mean, but I mean, if you talk idea, about emotional response. But in the sense that it's you know that it's like fantastical. I can understand how you might have like a, a psychological break from it being like you know this like spirit that follows you around that only you can see that's coming after you and then you know like that shit is kind of you hokey. know. But the th here's the other thing is. Horror movies usually are really crappy on top of it, which is really, the, I think, the primary reason I don't like them. And, but is the same feeling kind of a proposed to the idea of children's movies, which is that just structurally you see them as bad film? Um, 
as a kid, I felt like I was forced to watch them, but I always hated them. Like, I have a long <laughs> list, Dumbo, Bambi, that Oliver Twist movie they used to make yeah, me watch all up. the time. Yeah, yeah, all the movies I felt like that they stuck me in front of the TV and used to make me watch as a kid, I found them all terrifying, and I didn't know why I had to watch all this stuff. Pinocchio, add that one to the list. Yeah, I'll like, okay. like <laughs> Like, I mean, for the record, I, I don't like, like I w- any of the movies. I felt Nicole's like I was just being either. like tortured as a small child. Like Fiebel, they got the parents going, and then the Land Before Time, we got to watch the goddamn like Brontosaurus mom die. Like everything's they're, they're still just making those movies, misery. By the way, well, like, but at the same time, I think that you know, I hated the Little Mermaid. I don't even know why, but I hated that one too. Fuck that bitch. That's yeah. Right, yeah. So, but the thing too is that I think kids' movies can be a distillation of film technique and and storytelling right they are they do and need to be simple right there there is antagonist protagonist you know problem but, drama overcoming s- resolution but they don't have to be simple and that's what they've shown us recently is that these movies are very complex i mean you've got like a basic story arc so you could keep the kids involved but I, they're getting more and more complex Zootopia like this is breakneck at times yeah like this there's a lot going on in this movie. Well, and it's, but it's still, I mean, the dense, the denseness that can be both in, I mean, like I said, like the, I mean, the emotion, the, the broad emotional strokes of Zootopia are there. I mean, it is a kid's movie in the way that, that emotionally the movie runs. And, and for the parents, it's dense because there's a lot of information going on. But like every child, well, most children who watch this, you know, feel how they're supposed to feel by the end of the movie. I mean, by, by the end of the, of the large scenes, if you will, right? We know we're going, you know, we know the emotional arc, and I think that it works both ways. And like a, you know, like a Looney Tunes from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, I mean, they are, they are complex, and they have more nuanced themes and jokes within them. Like you said, that, that's so that parents don't shoot themselves uh, while uh, having to watch this thing over and over and over and over. You know, you've got to like kind of appreciate it from that perspective too. But um, you know, I do seek kids' movies out. Like I do like kids' movies that have a good message and that do it well and effective. So I mean, it is something I kind of buy into, I guess, a little bit more just inherently. And uh, as far as they go, I like this kids' movie. I mean, I really did. Uh, it was uh, it was impressive, engaging, fun, and for a guy who's a sucker for visuals and world building, what can I say? Yeah. Um, this was now. This was Disney Animation, not Pixar, right? That's correct. Okay. They're the same now, basically. Though. Okay. They okay. all answer I didn't to know, John Lasseter. Yeah, I didn't know if there was like a <laughs> divide or how that worked these days. Yeah. No. And on my front, I was more or less biologically compelled to enjoy this movie. <laughs> Pheromonally, I'm not sure what the right epigenetically is so, probably the most accurate term. So, David, I mean, is there is there a point in time where we could see like an adult furry movie at all? Like no. No, because, like, well, I mean, so for, like, people that have, like... It's because the degenerates would mess it up. Well, like, like, okay, so you usually get, like, as a comparison, people that have, like, an aver- that tend to... Not, tend to... I don't know, okay, fetishize um, the differences. Uh, animation-wise, people usually point to something like Who Framed Roger Rabbit as being, like, an adult person's movie who... An adult who would be stimulated by cartoons gets... Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where that's barely... Like I said, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is barely a kid's movie as well. Yeah. So, but we don't think that there'll be any kind no, of... No, that's, like, yeah. that's not an effective analog. I would be thrilled if someone actually tried to make the PG-13 version of Zootopia. Right. But that still seems like a tremendously hard sell. Right. Um, there need to be more 
furries for that to make any actual sense. Because that seems like, I mean, as someone who... I mean, you could take it grittier and take it, like, darker. Yeah, unfortunately, Ralph Bakshi doesn't make movies like that anymore, right? Because <laughs> that would be the one guy you could kind of maybe get... Yeah, I'm I just, guess I could see I could see it in premise, but yeah, it would be a hard sell. It'd be I don't a know really if it hard be sell. Getting... Yeah. I think. I mean, that's I, that has to be part of the reason you why take, they like, had to take, soften like, it in Sin the first City, place. But then you like place it in Zootopia. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, look at something like heavy metal, like a, right, Ralph Bakshi. That's what. Is, that's what. It, well, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Like, like I could see, I could see the premise, but yeah, it probably would be a hard sell to get funding for. Yeah. Well, and. Especially given that your budget needs to accommodate a tremendous amount of CGI, the number of studios you can use is limited. Right. Yeah. Um, you so need it's like industrial Disney light and magic or... <laughs> or whatever the hell James Cameron uses, and he's already making his. Is Avatar 2 ever going to come out? Who the fuck cares? I never I, saw I, the I first one. Yeah. I mean, no, I saw it one time in IMAX and could not believe how much money could be spent on so little. Like, there's just. Holy cow. Yeah. Talk about a movie that I decided does... I wasn't going to waste those two hours of my life. I can waste them watching something Oh, it was more else. than two. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I'm saving like three hours then. Yeah. I can I can devote to other things Just that I want to watch. Just yeah. sleep in that day. It's well, all that's, right. And actually, Avatar is a funny counterexample to this because in a lot of ways, it, it would seem like Avatar and Zootopia would have some degree of overlap because they are kind of in this, like, animals in harmony Type deal. Yeah, but doesn't the white man kill all you animals in it, the Avatar? Yeah, except that in Avatar, the message is sappy in a way that it is not in Zootopia. Zootopia's is much, much more not I, okay, grounded, I, but at least I, I can appreciate the lack of sappiness. Well, yeah. and, but no, you got to kind of understand too that this is a bad thing when Zootopia, a fucking kids movie, and Avatar are compared to each other, and Avatar comes out being the ham-fisted version of the of, of the ham-fisted example of those two movies by a sta- by a standard mile. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty bad. <laughs> it's impressively bad. What was it? Um, dances with. Dances with Wolves meets Blue People. Yes. And it's bad. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. I mean, I don't know what else I could say about... uh, I could say about this movie. I mean, we... The scenes in this movie that I really like, not in the... Or I guess I'll just use uh, love as opposed to like, the way that I talked about the effect. One of my favorite things in the entire movie, which I would never in a million years assume I would like in any other movie, because I've seen it before, is when uh, Judy goes back to Mr. Big's office and Mr. Big's daughter is there and Mr. Big's daughter says that she's going to name her daughter after Judy. I get, like, giddy Mm -hmm. at Judy's reaction to that. Yeah. Like, that is the frame of reference for the way that I feel about this movie. Because that thing has happened to human beings I've seen on screen. I don't care at all about it. But that is like like squirmily good feeling. Right. In that moment. You feel like Clawhauser seeing Giselle at that oh, moment. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 great. <laughs> awesome. Like that's that's the best parallel I can draw. Nice. It's um no. Uh, you probably already saw this movie if you're going to. Although, if you're a furry and you haven't seen it... What's wrong with you? Um, well, no, no, no. I, you could still be... Uh, you could still have potential familial or friendship problems, but this movie is gross enough money you won't blow your cover, so just go see it. Um, oh, absolutely. Highly recommended. And with that... Have at it. Nicole, Ryan? Oh. Yes, yes. Yes. Thanks for enduring this. With no, me. man, thanks for having us. <laughs> I was... I, I, 
and it was fine. You know, like I said, I'm not the best reviewer of of uh, Disney stuff, but you know. Well, I liked it, it. Thank you, David. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. I have one one last thing Addendum. that caught my attention. Okay. So the theme song to this, which is all about, like, you know, don't fail, don't fail, get up if you try fail. Everything. Try everything. Is that some kind of furry subliminal message? Okay, okay. it's I, not subliminal. Okay. The very last frame of yes. the movie is those tigers laying down next to Gazelle, and she says, try everything, okay. and then the screen fades up. It's like, that seemed a little heavy-handed. That, that, okay, I was going to say, was that was that supposed to be some 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 innuendo there? <laughs> that, that or was that like, just, like, really good, like, lining up of all the elements? I I think... <laughs> I just... How did, how did it make you feel? I feel biased, but it feels like... It felt intentional. Okay, okay. I, Okay. I can't say for sure. I was just wondering what you thought because I definitely picked up on it. I I didn't know like how intentional it was supposed to feel I though. I I don't know. I would have to interview one of the seven writers and three directors that put this movie together to find out. Oh, very good. <sighs> All right. Okay. Peace. Uh, do we have any idea what the next movie's going to be? Um. I guess it'd be Ryan's pick. Yeah, Ryan wanted to watch Aliens. Oh, that's true. Yeah, watch Aliens, and we'll talk about it in two weeks or something. Sounds good. All right. Peace. Try.